401k advisors want to build a scalable practice, but aren't always sure what to do next. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Here's your host, Ross Marino, financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x. Welcome to The Outcome Show. Today, I'm joined by Matt Wolnowitz, president at Income America. Hey, Matt. Good morning, Ross. Thanks for being on the show today. I've been looking forward to speaking with you, partially because I talked to Scott Colangelo a few years ago about what he was working on, and it is finally coming to pass. But before we go into that in your new position, you have a really good why story, and it really frames why you're connected with Scott and Income America and why you're so passionate about it. So could you tell us your history? Yeah, sure, Ross. I mean, I, I often say that, uh, you know, Income America is very personal to me, and it's, it's because really my father, my dad was a guy who, um, who really worked hard his entire life, and he didn't always have the benefit of a pension. So the, the burden really fell on, on him and my mom to save enough for retirement. So they worked hard. They were very diligent about, um, about savings. And as my dad began to enter um, the retirement zone and was really con seriously considering it, it was 2008. And for anybody who remembers those days, it was the rah-rah boom day. So in the first quarter, he... Um, he made the decision to um, to retire, and you know I went with him when he met with his advisor, and they put together a plan um, so that him and my mom would would uh, you know would have enough money to live on. And um, as he began to implement that plan, um, the market hit its peak. So as the market began to waver and began to um, move in the wrong direction. He just called me and chat about, um, you know, what my thoughts were and if he needed to make any decisions. And I said, no, Pop, you know, you, you, you've got a good plan here. Let's just stay committed to it. You know, you and mom, uh, go ahead and enjoy yourselves and we'll just we'll just watch it. Well, you know, Ross, as we moved into the um, really into late in the third quarter and the fourth quarter of 2008, the market began to tank. He absolutely panicked. And at the end of market close every day, he'd call me and say, what should I do? And, you know, I was lucky enough that I was able to convince him to stay fully invested. And really, when the market hit its, um, hit its trough in March of 09, not only was he panic stricken, it was all that he could think about. And for those of you that have parents that are in retirement and you can hear um, the news channel blaring in the background, unfortunately, that's all he listened to um, all day. Um, and, and so when it was at the trough, he absolutely wanted to get out. And luckily enough, in his plan, he'd set an, aside enough cash um, to make it through for a year. So he did stay fully invested and made it through. But Ross, really what, what caught me there, my dad wasn't concerned about time in the drop and, and being able to get in at the bottom and, you know, really make a lot of money. He was simply worried about him and my mom running out of money. And um, they really didn't have any alternatives. So the fear of um, extinguishing the retirement savings um, was a panic that was really real. And it sticks with me to this day. So, um, you know, as people begin to talk to me about retirement, that's often a, a story that I share with them because it's not only about what you've saved, it's about how you're going to make it last. It's a powerful story. A lot of people went through it. We saw it again in March of 2020. I was just right. interviewed for a podcast about maintaining balance and how you go back and forth where sometimes you have to be excessive. And I mentioned after March of 2020, I worked a lot more hours because I had to talk to everybody 
hadn't done that since 2008 because those were really crazy times. And I hear the financial side of it, but there's also a human side, Matt. So watching what your father's going through, knowing the stress that he's undergoing, what do you think that took a toll on him personally, uh, health-wise, relationally? Did you notice that much? Well, you know, Ross, he, he definitely, I think that we all pay for it um, with our health when we're, when we're under times of stress, especially, you know, when you get older and you, you think that, um, you know, that this, this life that you've lived and all this hard work that you've put in, um, when you think that maybe the money is, is literally going to be gone. And, and you know, it, it was, those were different times because you don't remember exactly what the market dip was, but I think it was somewhere, what was it? 48, 52%. Um, yep. you know, it was so significant that, um, um, you know, having that panic, um, it's something that's real and, uh, it's really hard to separate yourself from, and again, especially when you're retired and that just kind of consumes you. Well, there's certainly a different experience when someone knows that I'm okay financially as it relates to income versus someone that says I'm okay financially because my nest egg is large enough according to the pie chart or according to the mountain graph. That that is a whole different world, withdrawals versus income. Before we go into that, I met Scott Colangelo a few years ago and we talked about what he was working on. And I was listening to him try to do something that it's been tried before. And that's let's make a DC plan look like a DB plan. But Mm -hmm. he had a few different perspectives on it. And he was saying things, I remember taking notes thinking, okay, that, that's actually pretty cool. And you know, what's it going to cost and how are you going to do this? And I loved all the details, but before we go into that, you have history with Scott as well. It wasn't just a chance meeting that you had with him 12 months ago and said, Hey, income America. So talk a little bit about your history. Yeah, sure. Ross. I, I think I met Scott. Geez. I probably met him 12 or 13, maybe even 14 years ago when I was at Morningstar. Um, and at that time, um, Scott was looking to do um, some some enhanced due diligence on some of the strategies that he used for his own retirement plan um, clients, and so I worked with him on on Morningstar Direct. And you know, as I as I worked with him and got to know him a little bit better, I was struck by um, how um, how much passion he had for not only the plans but really for the end investor. You know, Scott told me that it was important to him that all these individual investors had the best. Um, solutions in their plan so that they could succeed in retirement. And I just thought that that was a a very different view. Um, When I went over to FI360 and um, headed up, um, you know, that firm, Scott and I became even closer because Scott was really big into the fiduciary movement and just a big supporter. So as we got to know each other, probably, geez, I don't know, Ross, four or five years ago, Scott had told me about this idea that he had and, um, you know, much like you, I thought it was really interesting. And I remember saying to him, good luck, pal. And, um, you know, <laughs> I just, I didn't know that somebody could really pull it off. So, um, you know, about three years ago, he asked me to be um, on the fund advisory board and I couldn't because it was a conflict of interest. But after we had um, done the transaction with FI360 and Broadridge, um, and I had agreed to stay on with them when my, when my time came up there, um, Scott and I had been had been talking about what they were doing, and it was getting it was getting real, Ross, and it was um, it was going to um, go to market, and so the timing just worked out perfectly. You know, I'm super passionate about fiduciary. I'm super passionate about 
fintech and I'm super passionate about um, retirement outcomes. So it was just really, really good timing on how, on how, how it all came together. And um, since I started last October, it's, it's really um, been the opportunity of a lifetime. I really enjoyed myself. So we can take withdrawals from an account or we can receive income from an account. You think that's a big difference? I really do. I think it's significant. Talk about it. What do you think? Yeah, sure. I, I think that, you know, I saw, I read an interesting um, article this week where it was more about the idea that for a participant, it was hard for them to take money out of their plan. And the more that I sat back and thought about it, I thought it was interesting because for participants, Ross, they're, they're challenged with a couple of things, right? Um, one is just the market risk, right? And, and we're in the middle of this massive five-year bull run. Yes, we had the correction uh, last March, but S&P's doubled over the past um, you know, five years. So are people afraid that if they take money out that uh, perhaps um, they're going to they're gonna cost themselves something in the long term? Perhaps. I mean, the other challenge is longevity, right? We, we, we just don't know how long we're going to live. Um, and again, you know, I'm pretty passionate about reading the news and staying um, up on the latest um, things that happen in the financial world. And, and I read something a few weeks ago where the first person who's going to live to 130 has already been born. And, um, you know, that's pretty shocking to me. So thinking about, you know, the withdrawal versus income, um, if somebody has um, the concept of a paycheck for life, right? Because I think that most people, even in their working days, they know how much money's coming in and they can build a budget around that. If they're saving for a trip or Christmas or whatever it is, um, that's tangible and, and they, they can work that out. Um, on the other hand, when people begin to think about how am I going to make this money last and they are afraid um, to take money out because of the uncertainty, um, I really don't think that they get the opportunity to live um, life to its fullest extent. I agree with you. I, I love asking the question and getting different perspectives on that. You know, taking withdrawals, I'm taking something that in my brain I knew was for down the road. But if it's mm -hmm. income, it's like a paycheck. That's you right. Tell me this income is guaranteed for life. Uh, okay, I can spend that. I feel pretty good about that. And there's certainly a, a nice movement in the industry. I think it's growing where we're trying to combine the quantity of assets with the quality of life. And how do we merge those two together? And years ago, annuities were extremely popular. Then not so much. The, mm -hmm. A lot of it was just the math behind it and negative mm -hmm. real returns and so forth. A lot of challenges there. Uh, the perception, of course, with annuities, mm -hmm. not inside retirement plans, but just in general, you hear guaranteed income, you think of that, I think huge surrender charges, low returns and uh, misdirection by people selling it. So yeah, high lot, fees. Yep. Right. A lot, lot of baggage that comes with that. Some of it deserves, some of it just mis mis misconception. But mm -hmm. when you're going into a defined contribution plan and trying to add something there, the numbers, the details they're down to pennies and basis points. You know exactly what you've put together. It's transparent. I love that. That was one of the reasons when we first spoke and started talking about this, we just dove right in. I'm like, like, give me the goods, Matt. I mean, okay, how are you doing this? Because I know there's, there's glossy brochures out there in the retail world, and that's right. not what we're talking about at all. But you're combining DB and DC. So why don't we drive into, before we get to the details, Explain mm -hmm. how the product works. What's the mechanics? If I have someone approaching retirement, about to retire, mm -hmm. how would I address that to a client and how are they going to perceive it? What's their value? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really um, good question, Ross, you know, and, and I talked about two of the biggest risks that participants face, um, you know, whether it's the market risk, or it's the longevity risk, but there's another big one out there that's lurking. And, you know, my, my good friend, David Blanchett, um, who recently left Morningstar and went over to, um, to Peru, um, and, and Kitches, they've both written a lot on the sequence of returns. And the bottom line for the investor is that if they go to retire, like my dad did, and there's a catastrophic market event and um, the market drops 25, 35, 40%, um, that participant is never going to be whole no matter how long it is that, that they retire. So, you know, the sequence of uh, returns is another one. But, you know, Ross, we really haven't touched on the behavioral finance piece. You know, that's another one um, that I think a lot about, you know, where the bottom line is that investors just do the wrong things at the, at the wrong time. And, you know, I know as a practitioner that, that you've seen that with, um, with many of your clients, but, you know, it, it's still shocking to me that even um, in these managed products, like the target dates, the amount of money that flowed out when the market dipped last year in the first quarter for COVID, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty shocking and, it, and it's kind of disheartening because again, if somebody sells out after a 30% um, drop and they wait and try and time the market to come back in, um, they're not going to be whole and it's going to take a really long time for them to, um, to just make up for that timing error. So, you know, the behavioral finance um, piece is another um, core component of this. So, you know, when, um, when we went to Design Income America, really number one on the top of the list was simplicity, um, something that the individual participant could understand. Because I, I think your question was more about when you begin to talk to a, a plan sponsor, what do you think about, um, you know, my lens is always not only at the sponsor level, but also at the end participant, because the sponsor is going to be more sophisticated. Um, certainly, the advisor is going to be more sophisticated. But even once um, a strategy makes it into a plan, um, and, and it can be a default option, but still the participant needs to understand it. And they need to understand why it is that they're putting their hard-earned money um, into a strategy. And so if it's complex, and if they can't really understand it, um, they're missing a lot of the benefit behind um, a solution like this. I remember so many conversations, Matt, with people early in, in my years as a financial planner, and they would own the stock, whatever it is. And this is an investment advice, so we're just going to make it generic. And you'd meet your retired client about to retire, and they would tell you about their dividends and how important the dividends were. And then yeah. I'd pull up a chart of the stock, and I, I just had that feeling in my stomach. And you think, oh my gosh, this is the worst looking chart I've seen in 10 years. This is a horrible investment. Well, I get that dividend check and you know, I've got that income and it feels good. And what people will sacrifice, sometimes out of ignorance, just for, in their mind, guaranteed income, dividend mm -hmm. isn't guaranteed, but to them, they believe it's going to come forever just to take that income. That's the behavioral finance nugget that it took me a while to get a hold of because as an advisor, I'm thinking total return because that's mm -hmm. what we do, right? We think sure. the bottom line, total return, this is what it is. That completely disregards the human element, the behavioral mm -hmm. finance element. And if we can figure out how to combine those two, now you're doing things that actually helps people make decisions and increase their quality of life in sitting, instead of sitting on XYZ garbage stock because you get a three and a half or 4% dividend and you think you're doing okay with that. So that's right. Now let's talk mechanics. So someone's approaching retirement. This is now an option within their plan. What are they looking at? 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, th there's there's really two ways that the um, that the strategy is structured, Ross. One is just a, a straight up target date um, strategy. So um, either way you look at it, it's just uh, an investment that's in the lineup. So as somebody begins to um, get into the retirement zone, then they've got a choice to make. At what point um, or what age do they want to begin to have some, <clears throat> excuse me, some guaranteed income? Um, you know, it's also interesting from a, a plan sponsor, um, you know, side of the house, because they, they can make the decision at what age do I want to begin to default my participants into a strategy like this? Um, you know, while you could do it right at 65, which is the retirement age, um, again, that really doesn't help from a, either a sequence of returns or behavioral finance, um, you know, point of view, Ross. And so, you know, typically the feedback that I've heard from sponsors is somewhere um, either at age 50, um, 55, or perhaps as low as 45, um, because at that time, as the participant either moves money um, into the strategy or they begin to um, make deposits into it, um, everything that they contribute, plus any of the upside on the market, um, creates the income base, which is, um, you know, really the, um, the foundation for what they're going to receive the benefit off of. So can you talk about the benefit and over 10, 20 years, are there any variables? How's it going to change? How can I view that? Yeah, great question. Again, you know, as we began to put the solution together, simplicity was um, number one on the list. And so um, the whole core concept of Income America is that a participant is going to receive 5% for life. So the way that it works is that at age 50, 50 I'm sorry, at age 65, the income base is set. And so what is the income base? It's all their contributions plus any market appreciation. Um, you know, if we look at that in two ways, if there's, a, if there's a bear market and there is no market appreciation, at the very minimum, the participants contributions plus any of the employee match that goes in is going to set the income base. If there is market appreciation, which again, um, you know, historically, um, it's pretty likely that that's gonna happen. Their contributions, plus any of that market appreciation at age 65 is locked in. So at that point, if that is $100,000, the participant is going to receive 5% for life, no matter how long they live. Really, really simple, easy for the participant to understand. So it sounds like it's connected to, and I'm just trying to process, I love the simplicity of it. It, mm -hmm. It's the contributions, there's market growth, and it's really not just fair market value. There's a floor there, which is the contribution. So that's correct. To just do this at age 65, you could do that, but mm -hmm. there's an incentive to do it earlier because you'll have a guarantee, at least on your contributions, and it'll tie into your income base as well. Um, but you don't ha have this automatic roll up that they charge for in retail annuities and these different fees and you know, here's the high watermark and there's a lot of moving parts on it that frankly, I send it away to consultants to analyze it because even when I try to read this stuff, you have to read it over and over. Yeah, it's confusing. You're still not 100% confident you get it, right? You got, you got to pull people in, but th that's pretty straightforward. Some advisors are going to look at this and say, DB aspects in a DC, I like it, let's talk. Other ones will look at it and say, mm, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk about this. What do you think will hold up some people who don't want to really learn about this or engage right now? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a few things there. Um, you know, one is um, anytime you begin to talk about guaranteed income, and again, I think that our solution is really simple and, and really straightforward. 
Um, but there's definitely confusion because Ross, you mentioned it earlier. I, I think that for um, you know a lot of people in the financial community, when they hear guaranteed income, they immediately begin to think about retail annuities. And retail annuities are not bad per se. Um, it's just that there are so many different variations of them um, that that there. It, it like you mentioned, it's really really hard to understand. And um, you know, different annuities fit different people in different stages of life. And so, um, you know, I think that the first thing that the advisor has to understand is that this is not a retail annuity. Um, it does sit inside of a, a 401k plan. So there's a fiduciary overlay on top of it. But not only that, um, you alluded to it earlier, you know, when, when it gets down to pricing, it's institutional pricing. So you're not paying two or 300 basis points um, like you would with a retail annuity. I think that the other reason why um, people begin to get nervous about using a retail annuity is for the client. If something happens like a catastrophic health event or life event, and they need to take money out of that, they can do it sometimes. Sometimes they can't. But if they do, the financial penalty is, is really, really severe. And so again, I think that one of the biggest hurdles is just educating people in general about how these strategies work inside of a DC plan, because it's so much different than it is in the retail world. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I, I certainly grabbed that, that takeaway as we spoke and, and I listened to it. It's a fiduciary overlay. It's transparent. It is simple. Um, I think a lot of people are going to want to talk about it. And I'm not sure what could change in the investment environment where someone says, guaranteed income doesn't matter. I'm certain humans aren't going to change and they're gonna want guarantees and like guarantees because that just makes us feel better. So it sounds like you guys have a, a good time to bring this out. So one last question for you. And, and this one's way, way more important than Income America. No, no disrespect, but it's the magic wand, <laughs> Matt. So this is it. You can wave the magic wand. You could change anything in the world. What would you do? So I got to tell you something else that's, that's, by the way, that's me waving the wand. Um, you know, something that's really, really personal to me is just cancer research in general. So um, I personally happen to be a uh, primary testicular stage four non-Hodgkin's survivor. And so all of the research and the efforts that go into um, finding a cure for cancer um, if I could wave the magic wand and, um, you know, make anything happen, it would be to find a, a cure for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That would be a wonderful thing. Hope we see it in our lifetime. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. Ross, always a pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Outcomes. Subscribe now to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Advisor 2X. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Shaping Change by Ross Marino and Susan Bradley. Well, I've really lived the whole theme of the book. Any advisor will tell you they've seen clients go through this where they have plans one day, you wake up the next day and the plan is scrapped because life happened and the plans need to change. Get your copy of Shaping Change by visiting shapingchangebook.com.